back way years ago. Um, back in the early 70s when I was in, in college, um, I was, see, understand, I started college not in a rebellious fashion, but I was misguided because I'd been called to the ministry as a little child. But nonetheless, in high school at one point in time, I'd said something to one of my friends about going into the ministry. And, and uh, you know, actually, he was, I was the starting halfback on the football team. He was the center on the football team, and he had a block for me. And he started making fun of me and teasing me because I said I was going to go into the ministry. And suddenly, you know, I just kind of clammed up and didn't say that to anybody anymore. I got into an accounting class in my junior year of high school, and the, the instructor said to me, you know what, you're good at this. So I went away to college to major in accounting. Well, midst of my college years, I got a letter from President Nixon, and uh, it was an invitation to report to the the what was called the AFES station up in Chicago, and I got drafted. I spent time in the military, got out, and suddenly God had refocused my thinking. And I was taking prerequisite courses to go to seminary. I took this philosophy of religion class. Long story, forgive me, but I wanted to give you the context of that. I took this philosophy of religion class. The instructor was a graduate of Wheaton College, grown up in Wheaton. And I, I was, you know, wow, this guy probably is going to be a great class when we get in there and find out this guy's a raging atheist. And what's going on here? And one, one week he talked about going to church the week before, the Sunday before. And I went to ask him, well, what church you go to? He said, well, I go to the Unitarian Universalist Church. Oh, really? Why do you go there? And he says, well, he says, this is the story. I grew up in a Bible-believing Christian home. I went to Wheaton College. He says, I rejected it. He says, I got married. I got off on my own. And he says, suddenly, Sunday mornings, I felt guilty. So I looked for a church that would fit my belief system and would also calm my guilt. Hmm, that's interesting. And this man's viewpoints were strange. This man's viewpoints, in fact, I, I'd been in the army, I'm a, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and I'd never encountered anything quite like the guy. And it was like, whoa, this is different, but you know what? I'm finding today, I say this, this was back in the mid early 70s. As I say that now, I have to say it's far more rampant out there. It's all around us. This morning, I take a prayer walk early in the morning. This morning, I took my prayer walk. I got home about 5 to 9 or so this morning and hurry up, take a shower and come. And I'm looking and there's kids all around the neighborhood out playing in their, on, their, on their bicycles and on their skateboards and their scooters and everything else. And I'm thinking, you know, wow. These kids don't have a clue of what church is all about. And what, you know, it, it, we live in a world which is greatly different than what it used to be. Now, some of you younger folks here, you think, no, this is the way it's been my whole life. Yeah, I agree. It has been. But the question is, how do we deal with the search for truth in a world where truth seems to be pretty hard to find? I was listening this week to the radio, listening to Janet Parshall's program, and she had Ravi Zacharias on. Everybody familiar? How many people are familiar with Ravi Zacharias? 
Ravi Zacharias is one of the foremost thinkers, Christian thinkers in our world today. And I, I enjoy listening to him, but I've got to confess to you, I mean, I've got a lot of education, you know, I've got the equivalent of a doctor's degree, but when Ravi Zacharias talks, you know, he's about my size, okay? And a lot of you guys I look up to, you know, because you're so much talk. Ravi's about my size, and, 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 you know, and as I listen to him talking, I think, boy, that's great, there's a guy I can look eye to eye. But you know what? When he talks, about 60% of what he says goes flume over my head. Because the guy is so smart. He is so deep in what he says. But this week as he's talking on Janet Parshall's program, he makes the comment about how we have to recognize that when we approach someone that doesn't trust in Christ as Savior in our culture today, we have to approach them from a different angle than what the four spiritual laws. How many, how many people are familiar with the four spiritual laws? You know, a lot of us were were raised with the four spiritual laws, so to speak. In fact, they were written the year I was born, 1952, by Bill Bright. They were written that year in 1952. And, and, and you know, I, I remember seeing those as a little child. And I remember, I mean, I trusted Christ without the four spiritual laws, but I used them many times. And Ravi says, we can't use the four spiritual laws like we used to. Because he says, people don't look at things the same way. And, and as I'm hearing him speak, I'm saying, yes, I agree with you, Ravi, but suddenly something smacks me up right between the eyes and says, but that's not what the Bible says. And the question is, how do we bring this viewpoint that says there's a different mentality out there? It's called a postmodern mentality for most people. In fact, even for me, it's, what's that mean? Basically, that means that truth isn't absolute anymore. Truth is questioned. People don't believe in the fundamental foundations of truth. They look at things and say, well, you know what, prove it for me. Or I'm not sure about that one. We can't be confident. That's the way they look at it. That's the way they can feel about it. And how do we bring together the culture that is saying truth isn't truth anymore with a Christianity that says it's founded upon the rock of truth. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, no questions asked. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit indwells us and He begins making changes. At least He's supposed to, or it's supposed to be that way. But in a postmodern culture, there are a lot of people that, in, that they embrace Christ as, hey, He's the Savior. But they're still not confident of truth. And how do we find it? We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to consider some things here, but let me just mention a couple other things. In fact, there are three or four books that I'll recommend. I use these in preparation for my introduction. Not for the sermon itself, but in preparation for my introduction. There's a book, two books by John MacArthur. One of them is entitled Fool's Gold. John MacArthur wrote a book in, 19, in 2005 called Fool's Gold. And it's, a, it's once again, it's about truth. And he's saying, you know, we can be easily deceived by some of the thinking that's out there. And in another book that he wrote called The Truth War, he wrote that one about four years ago. The Truth War. And this other book is maybe the one I'll recommend the highest. 
It's a book entitled, uh, Why We're Not Emergent by Two Guys Who Should Be. Written by a fellow named um, Ted Cluck, who works for ESPN, and Kevin DeYoung. Good Dutch name. He's the pastor of a church up in Lansing, Michigan. Good thinker. And it's an excellent book, and it, it, it describes different things regarding how we embrace this culture. But as I get this, we have to realize that, you know, 1 Corinthians, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read that in a couple minutes. The context of this is Paul's writing. In fact, doesn't this sound like our culture today? Paul writes and says, For the preaching or the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to those who don't know Christ as Savior, in other words. And I can tell you, yeah. I, can, I talk to people all the time. I, I, I'm working part-time for the Southside Mission these days. And, and I, I talk to people all the time, and I'll tell them about Jesus. I'll tell them about something, truth from the Scripture. And they look at me like, are you from Mars or where? And the reality is the teaching of the cross, the preaching of Jesus Christ died, buried, arose again, and Savior of the world. That's foolishness. That's folly to the world around us. They look at us like, what are you talking about? And Paul's writing that centuries ago to the church at Corinth and saying, realize that the world is perishing. And they don't understand. So, you know, and we have to realize when I, when I say I got things from these books, a couple principles from these books that I, that I mention here, we have to realize truth's under attack. It's under attack. It's being questioned and challenged at every opportunity possible. That's just the way that our culture is driven. I don't like that, but it's constantly under attack, so we realize that. Secondly, right and wrong is no longer clear. Talking to our daughters, we've got two daughters in ministry. One of them works for TEAM, the mission, up in Wheaton. The other one works for an organization called World Relief. She's, she teaches English to refugees. And they say, you know what? It's, it's scary out here in this world today because, for instance, so many of the people that they know, some of the young people that they know, they, they don't believe any longer in the sanctity of marriage. That's common amongst Christian young people, sadly enough or people that claim to be Christian young people. The idea of sex outside of marriage, that isn't near... No, in fact, it, it's no longer a sense of that's wrong today. People look at it and say, well, what's wrong with it? I mean, there are a lot of folks my age. Of course, yeah, I guess I'm from that, that Woodstock generation. But I'm shocked at the, the sexual mores of some of the people that are out there. And all we're saying is, is that right and wrong is no longer clear to a society like where we live. Personal feelings and perceptions replace the facts. With regard to the issue of postmodern thinking and idea of truth, we can no longer be confident. If we speak with confidence, people look at it as if we're arrogant. I speak with confidence. I believe this book to be the absolute Word of God. I believe the teaching of this book to be the only means for us to get to heaven. 
And I'm confident of that, but yet I preach that in a world around us today and people look at me as if I'm arrogant, I'm conceited. Who do you think you are? If we express a sense of certainty because you know, it, it, we, we, they look at us in that way and truth has become relative to each individual. Everybody has their own personal truth. And we have to realize that's the world where we live. A quote from one of the leaders of the emergent movement. When I said the emergent movement, it died a few years ago. In fact, the emergent movement, what it is, is it's, it's a contemporary Christian movement. Christian, I use the word only as, as a description of what it's supposed to be. But it's essentially, it's where a lot of people are rebelling against what they grew up with. They're rebelling against the issues of right and wrong that we learned as children. They're rebelling against the idea that there is absolute truth in this book. They're rebelling and, and they're taking this, this, this movement out to the point where the, one of the leaders of the movement wrote a book that got him kicked out of his church. Not technically speaking, they wouldn't say, he, they'll say he resigned. A fellow named Rob Bell from Grand Rapids. He wrote a book last, about a year ago now, and the book basically says that, that in the end, everybody's going to go to heaven. Everybody's going to go to heaven. In the end, love wins, is what he says. And, and he was in this church in Grand Rapids, and his church had ten to 12,000 people every week. And it's sad because the folks in the church, I had a cousin that was going there. And he says, you listen to the sermons on Sunday, you wouldn't know. And he says, I went to the membership class and that's when I found out something's wrong here. And he wrote this book and revealed what he really believed and the people started causing a little bit of issues for him. But at any rate, a quote from him regarding the Bible is, this is the Word of God, he says. But understand, when God spoke the Word of God, He mumbled. And we can't understand it. Now, you say to me, why are you, why are you preaching this? Why are you talking about this? Because you've got to understand, this is the culture where we live. This is what our neighbors, many of our neighbors, believe. This is, what, this is why 68 to 70% of the young people in churches like this, when they go away to college, by the time they graduate from college, they no longer attend church, even if they go to Christian schools. This is why that happens, because the culture is just completely attacking the truth of our faith. So, let me get into the Scriptures, because I know I'm way over time here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Follow along as I read. We'll go through this relatively quickly, so don't get nervous. Paul writes and says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. I'll explain this as we go a little bit later. Just listen and follow along in your own Bibles as best you can. I don't know what versions. I know Dan uses this version, the ESV. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. Yeah, before the ages of our glory, 
none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, people don't grasp what God is doing. They don't understand. goes on and says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart these words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself not judged by anyone. For who has, the under, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But then he closes and says, but we have in us the mind of Christ. To explain what he's saying here, two, two ideas here, two key ideas here that he's given us in these 11 verses. He's first telling us about the revealing of God's wisdom. That's verses 6 through 11. If you want to fill that in on your notes, fill it in. The revealing of God's wisdom. How God has revealed Himself to the world. And I could go into a lot of different ways in which God has revealed that are taught to us in the Scriptures, but this passage is telling us this is the way God speaks to man, so to speak. This is the way God tries to expose Himself to the world. He reveals Himself. That's the first idea we're going to look at this morning. Secondly, we will look at how we receive that wisdom, the receiving of God's wisdom. God reveals it in one way, and we receive it in a certain way as well. Those are the two key thoughts that are in this passage. Now, in these, in, in these first, first few verses, 6 through 11, the revealing of God's wisdom, he's trying to tell us that God's wisdom to us is exposed by the Holy Spirit. It's exposed by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us to realize that there are many ways in which God has revealed himself through the ages. Many ways. But the key way in which we learn what God has done and we see God is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because as we look at this, in fact, if I go back in some of my systematic theology classes, I could tell you that there are different ways in which God's reveal, God reveals Himself through creation, through nature. Romans 1 says, since the beginning of time, God has revealed Himself through nature, and therefore no person anywhere can say, I'm without excuse. I'm, I've got an excuse. I've not seen. Because nature has revealed God. But he's suggesting to us here that nature does not reveal to us with the authority 
that is necessary for people to grasp it. Now God's revealed himself. In fact, remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Remember the end of that story? The rich man is saying, hey, go tell my brother. And Jesus says, it wouldn't do any good. Wouldn't do any good. Why not? Well, because it takes more than just that go tell my brother type situation. The Holy Spirit has to expose. The Holy Spirit has to be involved in that revelation process. And that's what Paul's saying right here. God's wisdom is exposed by the Holy Spirit. And two things from this, it's designed to help make us mature. It's designed to help make us mature. Notice what he says there. He says, you know, in fact, as we look at the context, we go back in the first five verses of this passage, or the verse I read earlier, the preaching of the cross, the word of the cross is foolishness. Well, the first five verses here, he says, Paul says, we didn't come to you with some lofty speech or some great credentials or whatever else. He's, we came to you preaching the, the, the cross of Jesus. We came to you preaching the crucified Lord and Savior of the world. He's my speech and my message, verse 4, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of the power that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but rather on the power of God. And he goes on, verse 5 then, or verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it's not wisdom of this age, wisdoms of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have never crucified Jesus. Now, we impart, says to the, among the mature, we impart, he's basically saying that God's truth, the truth of the Word, the truth of all the revelation we have, whether it be revelation or nature, we, do, we look at nature and we can see the handiwork of God. Because the Holy Spirit has exposed God to us. And he's saying that the wisdom of God is designed to make us mature, to make us develop, to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our walk. And see, this is so important because why do these young people cast away their faith? I'm not here to blame any parents. I'm not here to blame anybody because I don't know that we have as much control as we'd like to have. But the bottom line is, is we receive God's wisdom for the purpose of becoming more mature, more developed in our faith, that our faith is continually encouraged and strengthened. I have to ask myself regularly, is my faith stronger today than what it was yesterday? If my faith isn't stronger, that means that I'm allowing the influences of this world to break it down. And if I'm allowing the influences of the world to break down my faith and everything else, that means that God's wisdom is not making me more mature, but rather I'm, I'm slipping. So the revealing of God's wisdom exposed by the Holy Spirit is designed to make us mature. It's designed to strengthen our faith. Secondly, it's seen as a mystery to the unsaved world. It's a mystery to unbelievers. 
Notice it says, we impart, a, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if the rulers of this world understood it, they would have never crucified Jesus. He says, it's written, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man has imagined how great it is what God has prepared for us that love Him. And he's essentially saying that we have to understand, and, and it's going to go into the second point here in a second, but it's, this is connected, but we, we realize when we talk about Jesus Christ to people that don't know Christ as Savior and they look at us like, whoa, what are you talking about? It's because it's mysterious to them. They don't have the capacity to understand. Why do sinful people sin? Because sin is natural. Until the Holy Spirit comes and, and deals with my understanding of how sin affects my life, it's only natural that I'm going to go out and do what's, what's normal. And when we preach to non-believers, in fact, every day they preach down at Southside Mission. I'm, I'm involved there. I don't do much of the preaching or teaching there because that's not my job at this time. But people come in to get to the bread or the food or the clothing or the, 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 the furniture that's being given to them. And they come in week after week. And, you know, you look at them and you wonder, this isn't getting through. Well, God's involved in exposing Himself to these people, yes, through the work of the Holy Spirit. But the natural man just can't receive these things. We're going to see this in the second portion of this passage. It's like a mystery. And we have to understand that the people that we're ministering to that don't know Christ as Savior, we say, boy, I just don't seem to be getting through to them. It's because it's mysterious. Now, we can't strong arm them. Oh, you've got to believe. Oh, yeah, you, gotta. you can't do that. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that God had opened their eyes. We have to understand that it takes the ministry of the Holy Spirit for a person to come to faith in Christ. It's not done by human wisdom. It's not done by human logic. That's where, you know, the, the, the topic of... A, how many people are familiar with the word apologetics? See, apologetics are, are a valuable tool in sharing Christ with people around us, but understand something. Apologetics alone won't do it. You can have the greatest, you, you can come up with the most clever gospel track, the, the most, you know, the, the most exciting type of story you can say, and, 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 and that isn't going to save a person. Because it takes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, the revealing of God's wisdom, plain and simple, its, its wisdom is exposed by God's Holy Spirit to us, to the world around us, hopefully, too. And the life lesson here, what do we say from this? When it says in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that's for real. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we should never underestimate the value of what God has revealed to us. Because our cleverest arguments, our best illustrations, our best stories 
you know, they're not necessarily going to win somebody to Christ. It's God's wisdom revealed by the Holy Spirit that does it. So that life lesson, one more time, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of wisdom. And we never should underestimate the value of what God reveals. But now secondly, the receiving of God's wisdom. The receiving of God's wisdom, verses 12 through 16. God's wisdom is accepted by those who have the Spirit in their lives. In fact, what I want to say this morning, just something, if, if you don't catch anything else, I say this lovingly, I say this hopefully tactfully, but you know what? When it says that, that in Romans 1 and 2 that man doesn't have an excuse before a righteous God, no, we don't have an excuse before a righteous God, but we of all people have less excuse. Because God has given us the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives. And there are so many times when Christians get involved in things where they ought not to be involved. And the sad truth is, we should know better. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And the reality is there are too many times when we allow the world to influence us to go down this path or that path and we ignore the work of the Holy Spirit, the work that the Spirit's doing in our lives. And eventually when we ignore the Spirit long enough, we become calloused. I've got, I, I say I walk, I walk many miles every day to pray. I've got huge calluses on the heels of my feet and you could poke a needle probably a quarter of an inch or deeper into the, the heel of my foot and I wouldn't feel a thing. Sometimes we become that calloused when we ignore the Spirit's promptings. God's wisdom is accepted by those who have the Spirit and it's intended, number one, to replace the wisdom of the wor Spirit of this world. It's intended to replace the wisdom of the Spirit of this world. You know what? Mankind's pretty clever. Mankind's pretty smart. Mankind has done an awful lot of things that are impressive. I don't think God's impressed. But when I look at all the technological advancements and everything else that science does, that education does and everything else, I say, wow, how far have we come? But let's understand that we have to continually fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. We need to replace the wisdom of this world in our lives with God's wisdom. And we, we receive God's wisdom, we take what the Holy Spirit gives us, and we should replace those secular, sinful thoughts that become so prominent. I mean, I'm a sports fan. Now this weekend, last weekend, I didn't get a chance to watch nearly as much of the college basketball as I really would have liked to. And besides that, most of the teams that I cheer for aren't playing right now. So it doesn't matter that much anyway. But you know what? I have to be careful because even in something that to me is so enjoyable as college basketball, the advertisements, they fill my mind with stuff that I don't need. 
Some of the things that the commentators say, some of the things that I see, you know, it just, you have to, okay, we spend so much time taking in from the world. How much time do we spend taking in from God? The old adage is that, for instance, you tell a child something discouraging, something mean, something not nice. They say it takes anywhere from 20 to 30 compliments and encouraging statements to replace that one poor statement that you made. Same thing holds true when it comes to what we receive from the world. How much more of this does it take to replace those thoughts that fill our minds? So we look at verse 12 here. He says, He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart in this words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. God's wisdom is designed to replace the ideas of the world in our minds. Romans 12, verse 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing, the changing of your mind. So we need to replace the secular mindset with the spiritual mindset. Secondly, in fact, life lesson. I got it down here. I, I popped it in here. The wisdom of this world is three D's. Destructive, deceptive, and dangerous. The wisdom of this world is destructive, deceptive, and dangerous. That's a lesson that we need to take and say, you know what? I have to constantly remind myself there's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of destructive thinking out there. There's a lot of dangerous thinking out there. Second in this point here, the receiving of God's wisdom is designed to, it's intended to reveal the wealth that God provides us. The wealth that God provides us. I made comments to the book of Romans a little bit ago. You know, I think every Christian should study the book of Romans on a regular basis. Romans 1 through 11 basically lead us through all the most important theological truths that are, that are necessary for our, for our healthy spiritual lives. And I won't go through those. I don't have time. I know I'm way over time this morning. But the, the, the Romans 1 through 11, you know, it tells us the wealth of what God has done for us, what God has provided for us. Ephesians 1 through 3 is a Reader's Digest version of that. The wealth that God's provided for us. Notice he says there, you know, God has given us all these, freely given us these things. Verse 12, we impart words not, with, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And he says, verse 14, he says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. We have the wealth of what God has provided for us and we need to grasp that and replace the thoughts of our minds that are so, so destructive, dangerous, and deceptive with the wealth of God's truth. Somebody asked me this morning, how do I address a college professor that's destroying the Christian faith? 
Truth is, I'm not sure that we can address that college professor very easily, but we need to make sure that we don't allow that professor's thinking to invade ours. And we need to grasp greater and greater the wealth that God's provided for us. Life lesson number three here. In fact, this is kind of an, an assignment to a certain extent. Each of us should evaluate who or what has the greatest influence on our thought lives. We should constantly ask, okay, what's the greatest influence on my thought life? And you know what? There's a good good probability that most people around us don't necessarily know what the greatest influence in our thought lives are. But we do because we're the ones that are thinking the thoughts. So realize... Stop and evaluate, what are, what's the greatest influence on my thought life? What impacts me the most? I know for a lot of people, it can be music. For other people, it can be different news stuff, news ideas. I know a lot of Christians that are very, very obsessed with what's going on in our country today, the political scene. I'm interested in it, but I can't allow myself to become obsessed with it because I know where my salvation comes from. But I constantly need to turn back to this book and say, okay, let this book be the influence that infects my life the most. Finally, the last thing, and this looks longer than it really is, but you know, the, the idea that we have here, the revealing or the receiving of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is accepted by those who have the Spirit. It's intended to reveal the Word of God to us. The work of the Holy Spirit is designed to reveal. Why do we rely on the Holy Spirit? In fact, one of the things I didn't say in my introduction that that I should have, in fact, I, I, I knew I was way over time. I didn't say this. I guess I need to say this now. I think that the, church, the Christian church has been far too focused on rules and regulations for an awful long time. I was the associate pastor at a church one time and, and the, the Billy Graham Association called and said, we've got our new movie coming out. This was 30 years ago. We've got our new movie coming out and, and we're going to give free tickets to the pastors. And I went to the senior pastor and says, hey, we get free tickets to the new Billy Graham movie. He says, where's it going to be playing? I says, well, at the theater downtown. He says, we don't go to the theater. As we don't. And then he informed me that one of the rules of my employment there was that I wouldn't go to the movie theater. Hadn't been told that before, but you know, rules are, you know, wait a minute now, why don't we go? He says, well, people could see us going in and we're a bad testimony. And I, and I said, okay, but the people in the church are renting some of the same videos that they see at the movie theater. Some of the same videos that I would never go to, I would never see. But it's all because it was a rule and regulation oriented mentality. And Christians sometimes don't rely on the Holy Spirit to guide them. That's a problem. We don't allow to rely on the Holy Spirit. We set up these rules and say, well, if I toe the line, I'll be just exactly what I'm supposed to be. I'm spiritual because I towed the line. No. The Holy Spirit should be the guide. So Christians have done that. And as far as this, the natural world, the, 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 maybe the liberal side of Christianity or whatever else, they don't rely on the Holy Spirit either. 
And since the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals God to us, and we receive from the Holy Spirit, let's understand that we, we understand the Word of God because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He reveals the Word of God to us. Four things now, and I'll just go through these quickly. The inspiration. This book, it's the entire Word of God. It's entirely the Word of God. And it was written through the, the process of inspiration. That's a long I word, and it's literally the, the Holy Spirit's protection over the writing of the Word. When this book was written, the Holy Spirit watched over the shoulders of all the individuals that were writing and made sure that exactly what God wanted got recorded in this book. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be adequately equipped to do the work of ministry. The inspiration is the protection the Holy Spirit had over the writing of the book. So the Holy Spirit helped the book to be written. Secondly, the illumination is the Holy Spirit's preparation for understanding the Word. The Holy Spirit prepares us so when we read the book, we understand it. Wow, I see that. I understand that. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives to prepare us that we might understand. The illumination, that's another long I word. The Holy Spirit has work in the, in, in the preparation for our understanding. He illuminates. He makes it so we understand it. Thirdly, the integration the integration, literally, that's the Holy Spirit. It's prompting us to apply the Word to life. The Holy Spirit prompts us to apply the Word to life. In fact, Howard Hendricks, how, people familiar with Howard Hendricks? Just a few of you. Howard Hendricks was one of the best professors I had. In fact, he was a, everybody that went to Dallas Seminary during the age of time when I went there, Prof. Hendricks was the man. When my wife and I first were married, we went to a marriage conference at Grace Presbyterian Church with Howard Hendricks. And I, this guy just blew me away with his communication skills. And, and, and back in the, in the mid-70s when I started seminary there, he came to class one time and he talked about the problem of abortion, but he wasn't talking about babies. He was saying, you know guys, every day abortions take place. He says, the living Word of God is planted in our lives and we fail to apply it to our lives, and therefore a life, you know, the life is killed. Not our spiritual lives, but he says it's like, it's like destroying life because the Holy Spirit, is, the, the, the Word of God is the living Word of God, and it's intended to be applied to our lives. Knowing the Word isn't good enough, acting on the Word is what's necessary, and the Holy Spirit prompts us. The integration we allow the Spirit to prompt us to apply the Word. Finally, the infiltration. The Holy Spirit's presence to help us remember the Word. John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to die and I'm going to leave. And the disciples were grieving. They're in the upper room. Maybe you're reading that right now in preparation for Easter. Jesus was talking to the disciples and he's, you know what? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a spirit. And that spirit is going to be with you day in and day out. And that spirit is going to help you remember the truths that I've told you. 
The Holy Spirit infiltrates our lives and helps us to remember the truth that Jesus gives us, that God gives us in the Word. Our final life lesson this morning, therefore we should depend on God's Spirit to guide and guard our thoughts and our understanding of His Word. We should depend upon the Spirit. I know Christians, folks that I I trust are saved. I don't know their hearts, but I trust they're saved because I've watched them for years. And they'll come to me sometimes, you know what, I'm just not getting anything out of my Bible study these days. I read it and it's like words on a page to me that don't mean anything. And I ask him, are you relying on the Spirit to guide you? You're relying on the Holy Spirit to to show you. Do you understand the Spirit's involvement? He inspired it. He illumines it. He helps integrate it into your life. And finally, He infiltrates your lifestyle because He's there to help you remember. He intercepts the sin desires sometimes and stops them. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And the reality is we live in a world where truth is being questioned all the time. And the first step, I've gone way over time today, I'm sorry, but the first step for us to deal with the problem of truth is to make sure that we are allowing God's Spirit to help us receive what God has exposed to us and to live it out. Let's pray. Father God, I'm, I, I love you and I thank you for Jesus. I realize that um, probably this took a lot longer than what I ever intended to do. And I just ask now that you'd help us to take and, and make the most of it this morning. I pray for this congregation. I pray for this church. I pray for Pastor Dan, for Jen, for their family. I pray for the leadership, for Warren and Don and I'm not sure if I even know who the other elders are or whatever else. I pray for the other leaders here that you just use them to make an impact here. It's encouraging for me to see more people here than I saw a year ago when I came the first time. It's encouraging for me to see that that I think there's some excitement here in this congregation and I pray that you use this group, Father, to reach out to this community. There's a lot of need here. And this, this, this group can make a huge difference, and I pray that they would. I pray you give them insights. I pray that they can deal with the problems that exist because truth is so questioned these days. So lead us today, guide us, direct us, and strengthen us. And I pray as we go our different directions today, Father, that we would recognize your presence and live in respect of it today. So lead us. And we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You know what, time-wise, in fact, if you want to do the song, I'll let you, but, but I would just say, executive decision, let's be dismissed. Amen? Amen? Amen. Lord bless. Forgive me for being so over, over, over time today.